Konbanwa, it's Zach Langley-Chichi, and I am here with society's last it girl <laughs> and the best fag hag of all time. Who are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Dasha Nekrasova, host of Red Scare Podcast. <laughs> Hi, Dasha Nekrasova, what are you doing? I'm, it's the morning here in New York, it's snowing, I just made a cup of coffee, um, and I'm also, I'm vaping. Yeah, as usual. What yeah. flavor of uh, pot are you using right now? Um, Virginia tobacco, but I'm actually also smoking weed. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Do they still sell, like, all of the different flavors of them? Like, when I was in America, you could get, like, the fruit punch one or whatever. They banned, like, flavored vape juice, I guess. But at bodegas, if you ask, they keep not, like, the Jewel brand, but you can get, like, off-brand or, like, disposable vapes that have, like, that are, like, Red Bull flavored and stuff. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And my last question uh, that I've been dying to ask for about six months now is why do you follow me? Oh, um, uh, I think you tweeted about me doing karaoke after we talked about it on the pod and then when i saw your profile i saw that you lived in japan um and that you were like a cross-dressing karaoke hostess <laughs> so it was a pretty it was a no-brainer for me really uh, thank you well welcome this is the uh, first episode of my second season and i wanted to start it off with you because I have been really dying to get into the actual culture of hostessing, mm -hmm. but in Japan, it's like all Japanese girls and me, and I don't have anyone to talk to, but you've actually done this job before, so. There's not, you don't work with other Westerners? There's one, and uh, her name is Miku, she's from Oregon, but she doesn't do it very often, it's like once every few months. Okay, I see. Yeah, the um, bar is entirely Japanese drag queens and uh, some faggots, and that's about it. Wow. Cool. Um, well, I did it for like a year and a half when I lived in L.A. in Koreatown. So I worked primarily with like Korean businessmen. Um, and the girls who did it were a mix of Korean and like kind of other immigrant girls like lots of russian girls and like spanish girls and hispanic girls um and the way that they do it in koreatown is it's like illegal for the bars to hire hostesses because there's some provision where it's like illegal to coerce people into spending money on alcohol or something which i guess is technically what hostesses do so you have to work through um like uh you have like a driver basically who's kind of like a like a light low-key pimp who like picks you up and you get in like a van with like six to eight <laughs> other girls and then you get dropped off because Koreatown's pretty small so there's like all these karaoke clubs that are all within like a three mile radius basically and so yeah. you get dropped off at the clubs um, and then you have a list of room numbers and you go into them and line up and if you, they pick you, you sit down and introduce the pricing structure to them. And if they don't, you have to get back in the van and like go to another club and basically do it until you get picked. <laughs> Jesus. 
and the battle royale well the first night i did it because i was only really familiar with hostessing culture in like a japanese context and Mm -hmm. through i had seen that documentary the great happiness space about hosts um and so my very first night on the job which i got off craigslist um and i'm pretty sure it's like organized kind of by like the korean mob i would guess because it's a basically like <laughs> yeah. a criminal operation um i dr- i did dress up like a japanese school girl um and everyone was like really alielienated and confused and nobody picked me my first night at all and then my drive what did you wear the next night then <laughs> i wore like a bodycon dress and then i basically had like my like drag was like <laughs> i would wear like a gold sequin dress and i had like a blonde bob at the time and that was just kind of like my standard look it's like scarface yeah Michelle pfeiffer yeah that's what i was going for i can see it i guess um the way i walked into hostessing was i did um regular drag lip sync gigs very vanilla stuff but through that i got to know a pretty popular queen in nagoya who uh insisted i do like one or two uh, nights at her bar and it kind of just picked up from there it looks really fun it's a good time i mean the best part about hostessing for me is i love male attention yes definitely and anyone who can like make money off of it without you know having to actually have sex is like the best way of living i think it was a really a perfect job for me yeah. Um, How did you fall out of it after a year and a half? I moved to New York. Mm. Um, cause I did it. Yeah, basically until, and it is. I mean, it's exhausting to do a lot. Um, cause I would do it like a couple nights a week, and the exa- the getting get, you have to get really drunk. <laughs> yeah, there's no choice. That's really one of the requirements of the job, which I'm also pretty good at, but which kind of takes a, <laughs> takes a toll. Yeah. Um, but I've had I've had like friends of mine who I've who've like asked me to introduce them into the karaoke circuit who have ended up like having sex for money and stuff, um, which I've felt <laughs> badly about. But some people are just better at manipulating men than than others, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess it really is a job about male manipulation at the end of the day. I mean, I have female clients sometimes, but it's mostly, like, girls who come with the rest of their company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, their boss has dragged them out and they're very uncomfortable and, like, sit cross-legged in fear the whole time. Yeah. There's, um... There were some, like... Uh... A, a mix of rooms in Koreatown. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it would be like, yeah, like men and women, but mostly, yeah, it was like Korean men. And I mean, I think it it helped me a lot, kind of with acting. Also, yeah, it really alleviated a lot of a lot of my like insecurities, kind of around casting and auditioning. Because it gave me perspective on, like, how much is just sort of vibe, you know? Absolutely. And I thought it would be, I thought it would be very, like, competitive and kind of cutthroat and scary when I started doing it. But it was actually one of the best, like, work environments I've 
ever had in that regard. Everyone was really supportive <laughs> and yeah. everyone kind of understands like you're not you you are kind of in competition with other girls, but really it does just come down to like something ephemeral between you and like a client that That's exactly it. Right? <laughs> yeah, like you have to find what kind of avenue to like generate that interest. Yeah. And I find that I usually have like the same route that I go down. It's like I do my little bit where I make the joke about me being a foreigner. Mm-hmm. I make them I make them guess where I'm from. And then from there you start like feeling out like what kind of person they are. Yeah. Like some people want to be like touched. Like some people just like want you to like pour their drinks and light their cigarettes and then Yeah, sometimes like, guys don't want to talk to you at all. They just want yeah, you they just to, want like, you to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just want you to sit there while they like play dice. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I find that it's kind of, like, the ultimate job for this modern condition. Like, having to deal with people's wills and their desires, like, so upfront when everyone is so close-guarded, especially in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, people really have that extra layer before they reveal themselves to anyone. Yeah. And so the whole job is, like, prying into that and trying to, like, figure out what they are. Well, that's what's so beautiful about karaoke is that it's so intimate and emotional and it feels like I often wished I did have like white clients occasionally, Mm -hmm. but they seemed sort of mm, confused by the culture (laughs) of it. Like they didn't understand if I was like a sex worker or not. (laughs) Um, and I think like for Korean and Japanese men it is it's really just about the like emotional labor more than anything yeah it exactly is and I honestly think it's not even worth like making a distinction between like the Korean and Japanese businessmen because they both have like these cultural (laughs) hangups yeah it's like Koreans are just like Japanese too basically they're my just like I obviously haven't worked in Japan, but my surface kind of what was surprising to me about Koreans yeah. was how sort of materialistic they were or like they didn't have as much of like um, a youth worship culture kind of. Like they really wanted primarily they wanted like American party girls who had a very specific look that was also kind of different from mine so my my angle was very much like oh my god I don't I went to college isn't it crazy like what's a girl like me doing in a place like this (laughs) you know what am I doing here I'm lost in the woods yeah and sometimes even being kind of like I don't know I'm kind of nervous and scared I haven't done this for very long And men love, like, making you feel, like, safe and, like, it's okay and, like... (laughs) Oh, you don't have to drink that much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not like the other guys. Like, I'm not going to make you get really drunk. Yeah, the fun element of the cross-dressing and drag queen part is that people immediately believe you to have no boundaries and will just start doing whatever. So no one has ever tried to protect me before, but. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're really right about karaoke, though. It is like this extreme emotional experience and it's really lost in translation when 
you'd see it in America when it's like, oh, we're going to karaoke night at the bar. Yeah. And I'm going to go sing in front of everybody. But at a proper, like, Asian karaoke experience, it's like you, a few people, and it's in a shut-off room where you just expose your heart to everybody. Yeah. And you're, like, making deep eye contact and singing. Do you have... um any standard songs that you like to sing? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I usually do a Madonna song every time. Like, I'll do one. Okay. And then I Are know you a, a good bunch singer? Of... No. Yeah, me neither. No, I'm horrible. It's embarrassing. I'm like tone deaf, I think, medically. But that's the <laughs> other thing that's great about karaoke is that it is about like performance. Exactly. And, like... like no one cares if you suck. No, they care of how much you're kind of like emoting. Exactly. Which I think also made me a good enough karaoke hostess. Um, yeah. When I uh, do karaoke, I uh, usually will do like an old, like kind of like country Japanese song called uh, Enka is the genre. And it's <laughs> like these weepy ballads from like the 60s and 70s. And uh it's mostly because it shocks people that I have heard of it. And yeah. then they're also really easy to sing and super weepy. Cool. I what can, did you sing? Um, I would often open with um, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Because oh, people so love good. the like, I love you, baby. And it, like people love the like crescendos of it. And it's a real crowd pleaser. Um, I would do Vogue sometimes by Madonna. I would die to see that. Because I love the spoken word part. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, and I loved karaoke before. I used to do karaoke recreationally, like, multiple nights a week anyway. So it really it was, like, a perfect confluence of, of all my interests. And I loved Koreatown because I loved, like, spas, frozen yogurt, and karaoke. And that was, like... On every corner, basically. Yeah, the dream. Mm-hmm. So my life was, like, really, really rocking back then. <laughs> <laughs> Downgraded to COVID. Yeah. Are you... So you haven't hosted since COVID. I have. You have? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's uplifting. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it. Japan didn't get hit at first until, like, the summer, until, like, there was... We never had a lockdown, like, we had a soft lockdown where mm-hmm. they kind of just said, stay home, but there was no enforcement, businesses were still open as usual, like, I really wasn't affected severely until, like, December when it actually started kicking in. Oh, wow. So I haven't been to the bar in about a month and a half now, but I was there basically up until November. Oh, Wow. Well, Japan also shut their border. Like, they yeah. have no qualms about about closing borders there. And no, it's a historical tradition. Yeah, it's an ethnostate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the um, ethnostate has uh, made it so that the cross-dressing drag queen trapped here can uh, continue fondling men at the bar. So, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> um, how is your experience... Um, outside of karaoke being like a foreigner in in Japan. I love it here, honestly. Like, um, I did an episode with my friend Gustav about it, and uh, he's a uh, a foreigner who's been here for 
like, 20 years, and he got dragged here as a child. Wow. Yeah, and we have very different experiences because uh, he is, like, a Japanese person, basically, like, by uh, cultural standards at this point, but he doesn't, like, get treated that way. I don't really care that I'm, like, not in the circle or whatever. And Yeah. I hang out with, like, Japanese friends who are just, like, they don't make a big show about, like, oh, I have, like, a foreigner friend. Like, how exciting. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, the daily living is just the best because I can smoke, like, wherever I want, like, inside. Um, (laughs) People are, like, nice. Everything's cheap. There's, like, good food at the convenience store. Like, uh, I'm living it up here. Yeah. Having a boyfriend helps. I think I had a friend who modeled in Japan for like close to two years and she we just made sure she always had a Japanese boyfriend and it made her life a lot a lot easier. Oh yeah a Japanese boyfriend is really the fantasy if you get the right one. (laughs) Very caring. Really yeah I bet. Uh, I was just talking about this with another friend but like the Japanese approach to masculinity is just so different from what I experienced in America because feminism, like, just didn't happen here. Like, where did you live before Japan? I was in Oregon. Okay. Yeah. I was in Oregon the whole time, and then I moved right over here after college, and here we are. Cool. You've been to Japan, like, once or twice, right? I've been once, yeah. But I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, like, a remorseless weeb. I really... (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I have no apologies. Yeah, I could definitely see myself living there and not getting, like, bored or lonely or caring that I was a ethnic minority. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's exciting for white people to have the uh, experience of getting to be the ethnic minority after, like, 18, 20 years of, like, pent-up anxiety about their ethnicity. I think it's kind of a little erotic thrill for them. Yeah, and I love the um, politeness with which you're, like, rejected from participating (laughs) in society. Like, the... (laughs) When you, like, try to go somewhere and they're just like, no, and they, like, cross their arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty rough in, like, Tokyo, but up in my neck of the woods, it's, like, any foreigner who's here is, like, not a tourist. Like, there's no reason right. to come visit. So right. I've only been, um, I've got the cross arms, like, one one time, and it's when I try to go to a gay bathhouse in Nagoya. Oh, is that where you live? I live in Mie, but I, my boyfriend lives in Nagoya. It's like an hour okay. on the train. Yeah. Cool. But I tried to go in. Uh, I walked right in. I ignored the sign that says Japanese only, thinking it meant like Japanese language. But they so politely clarified they meant the ethnicity. Okay. Good for them. Yeah. So, <laughs> no bathhouse for me. Got it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I just, um. there's a lot of people who... Uh, get lonely here i guess Mm -hmm. as they do living abroad anywhere um and i honestly think it would be helpful for everyone if you know you're lonely to just go hit on a hostess for a night out and it'll alleviate all your sorrows seriously i like i often wish that it was something that was more integrated in western culture because it feels like such a healthy outlet Because intimacy, my impression from doing it for a while, it was hard to maintain, like, romantic relationships just because it made everything feel kind of transactional. Right. And so many of my evenings were kind of, like, 
I wasn't really able to kind of date because I was like prioritizing these um, transactional relationships that I had. Um, and then it made my real relationships also feel that way. Um, but I've like, yeah, I remember once I was in a really um, fun room with like a group of businessmen and one of them was like going through a divorce and he was singing all these like weepy Korean songs and the catharsis of karaoke and the kind of like the very boundaried but intimate experience of hiring a hostess I think is actually like a very healthy outlet for a lot of like I don't know contemporary ills (laughs) absolutely and I think maybe even more so than the east like does the west like desperately require like this kind of outlet somewhere mm-hmm. everything is so like parasocial and filtered through social media that it feels almost like novel that hostess bars have existed like long before them like asian cultures like recognize like the need for that intimate release and uh like the states still have no idea and just are fumbling around on only fans basically yeah because they've um like hyper accelerated capitalism to its logical conclusion that's exactly it (laughs) (laughs) and here we're still like grappling with its contradictions yeah (laughs) meanwhile over here they have just uh, said all right well if you want to feel any love you have to go purchase it at a bar (laughs) yeah exactly it works for me do you make pretty good money Honestly, if I like only did hostessing and I didn't do anything else, I would make significantly more money. Yeah. It's like I think it's because like the labor is like kind of intense in its own way. Like it is exhausting to be so turned on for like 7 hours while drinking buckets of alcohol. Yeah. So, it's like a nice wage, honestly. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it can be very lucrative. Do you have, like, regulars? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I have, like, five guys who are uh, really interested in Chi-Chi is her name, so. Chi-Chi. Yeah, I took it from an Azealia Banks song. (laughs) Cool. Do you ever, like, let the mask slip? Like, I, because I just would use my real name. I have let it slip. A lot of people are, like, really fascinated and, like, if I have, like, a dick or not, and, like, then they want to hear about everything that has to do with that, like, and with people I've met a few times, I'll, like, tell them about, like, my boyfriend or whatever, or, like, do that kind of thing, and I'm pretty, like, open about my, uh, backstory, but for the most part, I keep it pretty much in the corner. hmm Yeah. It's kind of challenging to figure out where to draw the line between what you're presenting and like what you're earnestly sharing right yeah it gets it gets blurry because it is an emotional labor and they want i mean my and i found that a lot of men wanted like um to basically have an think like act like they were in love with you you know, yeah. they wanted this like very romantic, like, and they would say like, "We're gonna." I went on a date actually once with um, like a Chinese guy who I met hostessing, who was pretty hot. He was kind of like 
northern Chinese, like kind of Mongolian. And he lived in Mm -hmm. Colorado and was like a weed farmer. And he was like visiting L.A. (laughs) And we met. And then the next day he took me out um, for like dim sum. And he Uh immediately was like, because I think Chinese people are even more romantic (laughs) or something oh yeah but he immediately was like i want you to stop hostessing and like i want to (laughs) like take care of you and like rescue you from your like rough life on the koreatown streets (laughs) and i was like oh no thank you i don't think we should ever speak again (laughs) yeah you're not about to get whisked off to the colorado weed plantation (laughs) exactly (laughs) but he was hot yeah i uh I do find a lot of men are desperate to kind of create that romantic little fantasy. Yeah. And playing into it when you have your own, like, desires or, like, if you do find one of them hot or something sometimes, it makes you feel like the protagonist in Perfect Blue. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, Wonderwall is a, was a big go-to of mine as well. Oh, yeah. That's great. Because that's a very rom- romantic song, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I always love seeing these men who are really stoic and have their emotional realm just completely blocked off and then they walk into the karaoke booth and all of a sudden it's like the most intense and extreme of their feelings coming out. It's thrilling. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Like what do men in America even do to like get that release? Like sports? (sighs) Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think social interaction is less gendered. So there's a way, in a way, there's less incentive. Like, like how you said, like, going to karaoke with the Mm. bar. Like, most kind of, like, relatively well-adjusted men have, like, some semblance of, like, female friends that they can go and, like, kind of, like, have fun with. Right. But in... Asian and especially in like businessman culture like they just don't and in that way it felt like such a it felt like such a fair exchange of capital and labor to me too where I was like Mm -hmm. oh like these men like work like 80 hours a week and whatever their weird jobs are and like I don't have a normal job but I have this like skill set of being like charismatic and like having dimples or whatever (laughs) and this like this feels like a way fairer, like, exchange to me than, like, being a waitress and, like, working for tips, you know? <laughs> like, this is something they actually, this is a service I'm providing that they, like, wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Right. Were you uh, mostly with, like, single men? No, they were married for the I most part. I figured as much. Yeah. It's the same here, too. Um, What is being gay like in japan um well in the same way that like these men who work in businesses and do their 80 hour jobs every week the way that they're like blocked off and it's kind of like exciting for them to go to the host bar and stuff gay men are so like locked in their closet here that like yeah the culture that they do engage in is like thus extremely radical and thrilling Mm mm-hmm and I, I love the gay culture here, actually. It feels, like, actually cathartic and interesting. It, it seems to me kind of what maybe 
gay culture used to look like in the 70s before the HIV AIDS epidemic happened when everyone was just like so ecstatic to finally get to fuck another man that they are just in complete chaotic form. Yeah, it feels like truly transgressive. Mm-hmm. And now in America, it's much more like transactional and kind of like you go to the bar with like one purpose and it's uh, crowded with women now. And like yeah. when I go to the... Sorry. Gay, uh, <laughs> it's okay. If you're a fag hag, you get the, the special entrance pass. So. Yeah. You're good to go. Dasha Nekrasova is welcome at any gay bar on earth. Thank you. That's, that's I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is like... A, it is exciting. It's like actually feels like you're in a gay culture and not just like a bunch of guys in San Francisco like getting off of their tech job, you know, wanting to have like two shots of tequila and wine. Yeah. Like a straight culture where they happen to fuck men, basically. Exactly. <laughs> but this kind of work is just all, you know, pointing to this grand loneliness and I'm really glad I get to like work in that field a little bit it's very novel in the loneliness industry (laughs) yeah exactly the loneliest industrial complex well it's (laughs) cross-dressing is really interesting because when I did it it really felt like drag you know it was like it really I loved like doing my makeup and putting on my like hostess in costume because it really was such a like symbolic exchange yeah you get and to become this idol and feel all the emotions attached with it it's thrilling exactly and then when men look at you yeah they're not really like looking at you they're looking at these like symbols that you're presenting very outwardly and that's what they want and that feels great <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time I fear to tell I've been holding it back so long But something strange deep inside of me is happening I feel like I've ever felt I guessed on a lot of pods because I really believe in the medium. Mm-hmm. And I think if someone has like an interesting concept for a pod, I'll basically go on it because it feels yeah. like um, a karmic economy or something. <laughs> yeah. Like it's I think it's good to be. And I love, well, that's the other thing. Sorry to circle back to hostessing. No, not at all. But I really, in doing it, understood how it was kind of. Um, like in a lineage of like a geisha kind of practice. Yeah. And geishas are really like, they're trained in the art of like conversation. And right. so there is also this overlap kind of with podcasting, I think, and hostessing. 
Yeah, where there totally is. Yeah, you're developing the skill of like talking easily and facilitating conversation. Right. And I mean, at the same time, too, it's <laughs> like the podcasting experience is like creating like a character that people can put in their ears and like listen to, whether you're trying to or not. Probably the most foundational work of art to address intimacy and loneliness, and probably one of my favorite creations of all time is Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. How did you watch Ava? I watched it um, during lockdown Mm -hmm. last spring um, with my boyfriend who had seen it prior. Um, And I... I'm I like anime after I watched Ava I tried to kind of watch more anime but there's really nothing quite as good um but I had seen you know like the big ones like Akira and Perfect Blue and Ghost in the Shell and stuff um but yeah NGE is really on on another level yeah and I mean you're right once you watch it you can't watch other anime the same anymore yeah I got like Crunchyroll and all those like anime streaming yeah. <laughs> platform apps and I was like what is this like <laughs> why can no one else make a good anime <laughs> I, know. I think it is because it is so transgressive and it's like so aggressive towards the format and genre of anime mm-hmm. that everything else is just like in line with the conventions and this is so aggressively against them that it kind of uh makes it hard to watch other normal shit again right the ava pill right right well that's people talk about how nge is like anna's like critique kind of of weeb culture Mm -hmm. and that shinji is sort of like uh a stand-in for like the the otaku archetype or something right but i don't think i know i wasn't familiar enough i guess with the conventions of anime to really pick up on that when i did watch it yeah i think like that structure is kind of um like the way he approaches the general themes of the show which i think is like about loneliness and isolation and the pain of knowing like the other and uh he kind of uses his otaku critique or whatever, like the weeb culture stuff, to kind of like get at that. But I don't think it's like crucial to the show either. Yeah. Yeah, because you can know nothing about it and still get like the same experience, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. What was your experience watching it like? Yeah, it's in the, it's interesting because it's like the format of like the fighting Ava's is very gets so like redundant mm-hmm. kind of until you get to the end and then end of evangelion is like i mean yeah like the i experienced like such intense catharsis yeah. i don't think i've ever like sobbed so much yeah. <laughs> watching anything and i think that that does have to do with like the payoff kind of of being sort of broken down by the like repetitive conventions of the fighting robots absolutely and then the move into like the interior space yeah. of shinji and the other characters is just incredible <laughs> i agree and 
you're so right about the repetition and it's also like the only mech or like you know pseudo mech anime or anything i've ever seen that like actually makes it terrifying and like frightening for these children to be doing yeah and uh i always remember like in the first episode like when uh the ava gets impaled by like the angel it's like actually skin crawling like you feel it happen yeah it's super visceral because yeah because they are children and that that's one of the things i loved about it was like yeah it's about this kind of like pubescent horror (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and that they have to be of like a certain age to power the avas because they're going through these like intense hormonal agonies already exactly and then it makes half the drama about like protecting the world from the angels but also like navigating puberty and learning that you have a disgusting like desire inside of you like when asuka and shinji have to like reconcile with existing with one another and just have this really unfortunate creepy relationship who's um who's your favorite girl it's asuka yeah yeah well Uh, that's where half my drag name comes from asuka langley sordio and it's langley chichi so Oh, cool. (laughs) Very stupid, but... I I relate to Asuka the most. Mm Mm-hmm. But... But Misato is probably my my favorite girl, actually. I think she is the best woman, but she's not the best girl. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Misato is actually, like, perhaps one of the most complicated and fascinating female characters of any art I've seen in, like, the last 30 years. It's incredible the way she's depicted yeah yeah and, like, when this you a- find for out children her and it's like her sex <laughs> problems <laughs> do children watch nge is it well i didn't think so because i could not imagine such a thing yeah and yet i uh in my other line of work i uh interact with lots of elementary school students and uh-huh. I have fourth and sixth graders who have seen all of it. Wow. Wow, that seems traumatic. (laughs) I know. Because I remember in America, too, like, some, like, whiny sorority girl was complaining about how much she hated anime. And it was Mm -hmm. because her dad had rented a VHS of Ava thinking it was a cartoon. Yeah. And she said it, like, traumatized her to see how, like, the Avas moved and she can't watch anime because of it. Oh, Wow. I think in Japan, though, like, they just, like, show violent shit to their kids all the time. Like, my boyfriend used to watch, like, these uh, samurai movies where they, like, cut off people's legs and there's, like, mountains of blood every film. Yeah. And he was, like, four with his grandparents, so. Yeah, well, it is a kind of fascistic culture. Mm -hmm. So the comfort level with with violence is, is amplified, I think. Yeah, and the fascistic thing is also leveled at Ava. Like, people have been lately accusing it of being conservative or, like, individualistic or, like, some sort of rightist propaganda. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's surprising. And it's surprising to me in general that in all the, like, anti-fascist, crypto-fascist discourse, people don't talk about Japan more. I know. Like, when people were defending Marie Kondo after, like, Barbara Ehrenreich said something about her, I'm always like, you know Marie Kondo's, like, 
a fascist, right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> the life-changing magic of tidying up is about being like um, austere. <laughs> like a belligerent and rightist. disciplined. Yeah. yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a rightist country. Like the, it's been that way for 60 years, like since the like 69 movement like failed here. Yeah. And there's been no leftism ever since. So. That's why it's so nice. <laughs> it's, and that's why it's such a nice place to live. <laughs> that's why it's so clean and everyone has such purpose. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of wondering what you uh, take away from AFA. Like, what do you think it's about? What What did you get from it? Um, I I do really want to watch the rebuilds as mm-hmm. we talked. I, they're very hard to find i feel like i downloaded like malware inadvertently trying to to (laughs) access them and i've only watched it all the way through once Mm -hmm. and i've watched end of ava like twice um so i suspect that there is more for me to get out of it um but really it's you know about how love is destructive (laughs) i have like a very kind of uh, just emotional relationship to it and the hedgehog's dilemma really mm-hmm. really resonates um and i think it's um, it's like jungian aspects are yeah. very meaningful to me and it's like deconstruction of kind of archetypes and how the avas are the most like compelling kind of reveal or turn was when you discover that the Avas are like the children's mothers, really. Yeah, the enshrined souls of their mothers that yeah. they're piloting. And that they're in this kind of like embryonic fluid <laughs> yeah. inside of them. And I just thought that that was such a powerful way of depicting how your parents both create you and like ruin your life (laughs) yeah absolutely it's very Freudian too I mean Mm -hmm. it's rare for any media to like really so openly embrace like this kind of psychoanalytic reading and uh you're right that when it's revealed that one of Shinji's like main romantic attachments is a clone of his mother and he's been like bathing in her womb juices for the entirety of the series it's like disgusting and emotional and shocking yeah yeah what do you uh make of the of end of ava and specifically the last scene when shinji chokes asuka um i don't know the Mm -hmm. the singularity stuff is uh feels a little out of my grasp yeah (laughs) Well, I think it's fair because um, I have seen the show like four times and I just showed it to my boyfriend for the the first time because the movies have been re-showing in theaters and the last Rebuild movie was supposed to come out last month before it got delayed again. But he uh, is not a movie person or like isn't into art or like anything like that. Mm -hmm. And the stuff about instrumentality and all of the extremely complicated sort of like autistic level plot devices yeah it just like slipped him by completely but i think that's kind of what makes ava so good is that like 
you can go like totally like can't bot on it and be the most annoying person in the world <laughs> and learn everything or you can just like learn from the character's emotions yeah what do you make of of the end well i guess it's like shinji and asuka have shinji has elected to reject um you uh he's chosen to reject being connected with every person and like chooses his individuality mm-hmm. and so when he and asuka wash up on the beach he chooses to choke her not because he hates her but because he wants to like prove to himself that he is himself and that there is like an outside agent and another that he uh can interact with that he has like a radical the radical free will to destroy something he loves exactly yeah i mean that's amazing i know i mean because love is destructive is something that nobody will tell you anymore i haven't (laughs) i haven't seen anything that would dare to say something but this series is just constantly like eschewing it in these horrifying violent ways i think it's beautiful yeah it really really rips you apart do people do the uh cruel angels thesis at karaoke oh yeah it's the most popular karaoke song in history wow Wow, yeah. I would love to <laughs> learn how to sing that song. It's one of my go-tos actually because uh, everybody knows it. So I would go, I would go on... nuts to hear you. Sing. Oh yeah, you lose <laughs> it, girl. <laughs> I'd pay top dollar. Just you wait one day. <laughs> God, that would be a dream come true. It's um. It's my favorite thing to hear at karaoke, too, because it's, uh, they show on, like, the karaoke screens, like, all of the extreme violence of the series and, like, the Ava limbs getting ripped apart while it's this jolly song and everyone's just so thrilled to be singing it together. Yeah, I never skip the theme. Never. It's a sin to do so. <laughs> I agree. It's sin. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about that other song from the end? What's it called? Come Susser Todd, Come Sweet Sus- Death. Yeah. In do, German. Do they do uh, that one? I have never heard someone else done it, but I have done it a few times in uh, off-pitch, horrified warbling. Yeah, same. Yeah, it's like so out of my range that when I sing it, it is quite literally cat death. <laughs> But I have a lot of emotion, so who cares? Exactly. Yeah, I love listening to that song and feeling feeling bad for myself. Yeah, it's that's a, my favorite thing about Ava is it really just is something to commiserate with, but it actually ends up kind of exercising your misery and showing you it's all worth it. Yeah, it's a very powerful, cathartic piece of art, which yeah. is what all art should aspire to. I agree. And I watched it when I was in high school and was, like, still a very poorly developed non-human and uh, depressed, as, you know, all gay high schoolers are. Yeah. And I remember, like, watching Ava and, uh, like, hearing it's, like, as long as, like, there is someone else, like, there's always a chance for happiness was, like, enough to carry me through. Oh, it gets better. (laughs) It gets better. Thank you, Dan Savage. <laughs> Dan Savage is secretly Avon Gillian's creator. 
<laughs> yeah, NGE is really about how it gets better. <laughs> it just gets better. <laughs> so don't kill yourself. <laughs> oh, that is something I want to talk about, actually, uh, mm-hmm. is the the faggotry of uh, Ava, which is uh, one of my favorite qualities to it, is the... Uh, gay little arc with Kaoru and Shinji. Yeah, I forgot about that, obviously, because I'm such a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you watch the Netflix version? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, as people know, they, uh, they've translated some of it, and uh, they Kaoru... downplayed the, mm-hmm. the gayness. It is hard to translate, because, like, the Japanese word for love can also, like, mean like or appreciate. But even with that translation, I think it's, like, impossible not to read them as, like, them being gay for each other a little. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, Shinji's frustration really comes across in that arc. I agree. Um, And through his relationship with Rei, obviously, also. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's great, too, the the Rei stuff. Yeah, and she's finally learning to become an expressive human being with Will, and then she gets brutally murdered. <laughs> like, right at the end of the series. Yeah. Well, she's, yeah, she's the most heartbreaking character in a way, even more so than Shinji, because she's kind of in her, like, autistic incapacity to feel she actually feels the most. Mm-hmm. And that's so clever and beautiful and well done yeah because whereas like asuka and shinji are like in their own ways like constantly expressing and speaking like ray barely even has the opportunity to get to that point yeah yeah what does asuka say when shinji asks her why she pilots the ava and she says it's like so people know how great I am or how important I am or something. Yeah. I don't remember how it's translated, but I mean, the Ava is just a very powerful metaphor for me also. I After watching NGE, I found it very helpful to think about things in my life as kind of like, it's time to get in the robot, you know? Yeah, get in the robot, Dasha. And in Russian, the word for work, Rabota, is like has like a robot robotic (laughs) connotation yeah Yeah, exactly so it's um it informed also just my approach to like working creatively and otherwise as kind of Mm -hmm. like just something that you have to do (laughs) yeah because the sort of theme there is that it doesn't matter like how it unfolds once you've committed to something. It's like just the act of committing and doing it and willing yourself to act is like all that counts. Yeah. And see something through to completion, even if you don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Even if it hurts and ruins your life and kills people, you have to to act. Even if it rips you apart. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Red Scare is your Ava. Time to, time to get in the robot. Yeah, well, more more so with film with filmmaking. Oh, yeah. I felt um, Ava-ish about it, kind of, mm-hmm. as, like, this undertaking that's very 
difficult and painful, but that you have yeah. to kind of do because you don't have a choice. Right. I feel like it, it applies well to, like, those situations where it feels, like, hopeless or, like, you're, you're not certain of what the result will be, which is, like, kind of how I imagine, like, filmmaking to be. Yeah, exactly. You really have to get get in the robot. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like especially with, like, directing as well, like, when you have to will so much of it into creation like completely like on your own and like direct and organize so many people that it is really one of those like get in the Ava moments where you have to like do it and there's just uh you don't know how it's going to turn out but you just have to commit to it yeah and it's an interesting it's very collaborative but it's also very solitary it is very lonely because it is ultimately like your response like no one's gonna do it besides you kind of yeah and you can't ultimately count on anyone else to do it because it's your responsibility yeah i remember like the time that i mostly had to commit to like my ava was when i was working at a nordstrom rack (laughs) 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 i fucking hated it and every day i would just like wake up and get high and like wander to work just like wanting to die but i got in the ava and i sold those clothes to the prissy ladies yeah that's what counts it's what counts (laughs) i got in (laughs) cool nordstrom's rack in oregon yeah in eugene oregon wow do you think you'll come back to the states (laughs) I don't really want to, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm kind of like not really politically interested in issues of gay marriage or anything. However, it does make it very obnoxious for visa purposes. <laughs> right. And there's so no if, like domestic partnership kind of thing, no, obviously. It's only for the Japanese people who can do that. So it doesn't right. count for me. And there are other avenues of staying like i could just keep getting work visas forever until i apply for a a good permanent visa or i could naturalize and like become a japanese citizen and just stay here yeah but then i had to denounce my uh american citizenship so oh wow yikes yeah so this is like my instrumentality moment (laughs) (laughs) do you want to simulate fully yeah (laughs) <laughs> do I want to assimilate and melt into Japan or do I want to choose individualism and go back to America? Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. I think I'll probably stay, though, at this rate anyway. I hope to come visit you soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting because uh, <laughs> Lord knows I have nothing else to do. <laughs> it's just podcasting and cross-dressing. Yeah. Well, that's that's not a bad pastime. Not at all. And I mean, the best part about Japan is the nonstop barrage of Evangelion merchandise that you can get of anything. That's very appealing to me. Don't you have like a, like a Misato like soap plate or something? I have a soap dish, yeah, where she's like taking a bath. (laughs) Um, That's really cute because she's like drinking a beer. Um, Oh, the food and NGE. Oh, it's all so charming. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's a Ray version as well where she's kind of like dejectedly sitting in the bath that I would I would love to get my hands on. Yeah, I do. I have some like anime figurines 
because I've always liked, I'm not like um, a super fan, obviously, of all anime, but I was really big into Sailor Moon when I was a kid. And it's always just like, I was like autistically into Sailor Moon, like (laughs) obsessed with it because I loved like the categorical kind of world of it and the... I tried to rewatch it a couple years ago and I didn't, it was um, it also just so redundant. Like every episode yeah. is just like there is a, a force for good and a force for evil and one triumphs. Right. Um, but just visual, just like I just loved visually the way that anime looked. <laughs> yeah. And it aesthetically like has always resonated with me even ever since I was a child. So I've like, yeah, I do like to accumulate merchandise (laughs) and what I loved about Japan too was the malls like and just the endless like it was so it made me feel manic to like have all this like adorable crap (laughs) (laughs) envelop me and I found it to be so like stimulating and exciting yeah I just uh my boyfriend got a pillow it's like a like a five foot pillow, and uh, it's just the entry plug into an Evangelion. <gasps> wow. And it's like, why would you need it? But then the second you see it, some like great desire and like primordial urge comes out of you, and it's like, oh my God, I've always needed this. I'd love to see a, a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take one next time I see him. No, I just like, I bought. I bought Evangelion perfume this week. Oh, yes. I, I saw just got, that. Yeah, I, and I just got Ray Lip Rouge. Um, what else have I bought recently? How's There's the perfume? A, have you smelled it oh, yet? Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's so disappointing. It's like this Calvin Klein ripoff. And I have been like wearing like uh, some like nicer fragrances lately. Like I've been doing Angel a lot and stuff. And then mm. I just like put that on. It instantly dissipates, and I was just, my heart was broken. But the bottle's cute, so who cares? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> the, the object of desire was <laughs> acquired, <laughs> which is what counts. Yeah, exactly. Um, what NGE stuff do I want? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have any, I really, I bought an um, Asuka wig off of AliExpress, but mm-hmm. it, like, never came. <laughs> <laughs> it just vanished. But I'd really like to invest in a, in a cool um, I have, wig. like, the hair clips, and I have, like, a plug suit, but I'm, like, too embarrassed to wear it yet. Like, I have, like, a whole gay little Oscar cosplay, like, in my closet, but I have to get in the Ava and put it on. Yeah, you have to... It's a force of will. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I've had it for like a year and a half, and like, every Halloween, it's like, I'm going to wear it this Halloween, and then I do not. Yeah, that's... I've wanted to do a very elaborate Marie Antoinette costume for like the last five Halloweens, and every year it rolls around, and I feel like if I can't do it right, I shouldn't do it at all. Exactly, it's the same <laughs> sensation. If I don't give Asuka her justice, then it was not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Ray plug suit, like, one-piece swimsuit. Oh, I've seen that, like, on AliExpress before. I've yeah, seen the one. But it's not well well made. No, it's, like, the Chinese, like, swimsuit material. Yeah, it's pretty flimsy. Yeah. 
and I don't love to wear it because I don't I don't relate to Ray as much. But. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like it would be kind of uh, it would be kind of like a sin for me to do Ray before I did Oscar. But yeah, you could do Masato. I feel like that would be really fun. And the jacket's stylish. You can wear it after. She looks great. <laughs> she looks great all the time. I'm obsessed with her. I think about just, like, her, like, uh, in bed with her hot boyfriend, just, like, emoting about her dead father, like, every week. I think about her drinking beer and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's my favorite beer here, too. It's, like, the more expensive one. The, uh, oh, God, what is it called? Epi Soup. Oh, cool. It's my go-to beer. You can get it at the convenience store. I can just go home after a day of work and pretend I'm in an anime all day. Disgusting. I, I, yeah, I eat the, like, um, top ramen curry sometimes because it reminds me of Misato. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 200% of your daily sodium intake. <laughs> These dark confessions on the show. <laughs> Tragically eating ramen noodles to feel like an anime character. (laughs) Oh, God. Anno was right. (laughs) (laughs) He was right all along. He was right about those despicable otakus. (laughs) Well, we're all otakus in the end. At the end of the day, it's It's really the the takeaway, which is why NG is so resonant. We're all hopelessly devoted to ridiculous pastimes and becoming perverted for them, so... Yeah, we all have a waifu out there who's a <laughs> unattainable token. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>